Welcome to The Theatre Project. Today, The Theatre Project is thinking about up-and-coming playwrights. Second place winner of The Theatre Project 2021 Young Playwright Competition, Ryan Rosenthal, introduces an audio reading of his award-winning play, The Patron's Redeemer, followed by an interview of Ryan by 2018 first place and 2017 third place winner, Kiana Keys. It's the night before Christmas, and sitting at the bar named Caron's is Oliver, who's trying to get a drink from Willie, the bartender, who's trying to stop him. That's only a little bit of The Patron's Redeemer, written by Ryan Rosenthal, who's here with us today to give us a little talk. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing good. Very happy winter break has started. Oh, yeah. It's Christmas time. (laughs) Right, which is honestly great timing to talk about this piece that you've made. Yes, certainly. So just before we listen to your play, I just wanted to know a little bit about it. So what was the writing process behind The Patron's Redeemer? So The Patron's Redeemer has been in the works for a little over a year and a half now. It initially actually began as an assignment for my acting class. In my acting class at Cranford High School, when I was a junior, we had a playwriting unit. And it just so happened that unit began almost right as COVID hit. So I had a lot of time on my hands. And so I spent a lot of early quarantine writing the play and just kind of reworking it and really sorting out the story and the characters. And I worked on it for a while. I had started writing actually in February of 2020. That's when I really started working on and honing down the idea. But I kept writing, and I wasn't done really until May or June. But then I had still kept making some tweaks and adjustments, and I wouldn't call it a finished play until around January or February of 2021. Wow. As I was reading and watching this play, I was just very enamored by how the the subtleties and the delicacies of the turns in the story. And I was like, wow, a senior in high school wrote this play. And I read a little bit that you were also part of a a thespian society, but also a film club. And I was wondering if those informed each other in any part of your school education as well, how those inform how you executed this play. Definitely how I see it story is consistent regardless of medium. Right now at NYU, I'm studying film and TV, but I still feel like that ties so much into me being a thespian. I was a member of my school's thespian society, and I started the film club at Cranford High, but they definitely did inform each other, whether it was acting, directing, writing, or even watching. I was constantly seeing storytelling and seeing how the cadence of a story and what audiences like and don't like and things that create intrigue and trying to insert that into my own work was definitely made easier through my experience, both in theater and in film. Wow, that's great. Why don't we take a listen and we'll return after that. Enjoy. Welcome to Caron's. How may I help you? Not the shit, Lily. You know what I drink. Come on, man. I was just messing with you. Make me something. Can we have a conversation first? No. 
Then put your coat back on. Fine. Let's talk. I'm not starting this conversation. Sure. Um, how was your day? <laughs> no, that's shitty. <laughs> Try again. What are you doing here, Oliver? Shouldn't you be at home, like, like with your family? That's none of your business. I'm just asking. You don't need to get defensive. Well, there's no need to ask. I just thought by now we might be close enough for you to actually... Can you please just get me a drink or seven? Give me a few minutes. Why do you need a few minutes? It's just been a long day. Let's be civil, okay? So, guess how long you've been coming here? I don't know. How long? Six months ago today. You know, I remember the first night you came in here. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know anybody could drink that much in one night. Well, then you didn't know me. I guess not. I like to think that we've become pretty good friends over the past six months, Oliver. Well, I'd like to think that too. But that's the thing. I don't really believe it. I, I think I'm just your bartender. Look, what are you trying to say? I don't know whether or not you really consider me a friend. I, look, I do. I mean, uh, look, uh, of course I do. Are you kidding? From how often I come in here? From from what all the things you've done for me? How, what, the things I've done for you? I serve you drinks. That's all I do for you. Yeah, and it makes me happy. More than you'd know. That's why I keep coming back. Speaking of drinks. Yeah, I think there's another reason you keep coming back here. And it isn't me. I think you're looking for something you're not going to find. Sorry, Oliver, but we don't serve you here anymore. What the hell do you mean you don't serve me anymore? I just... I can't deal with you. You're going to need to go somewhere else if you want to drink. I, I can't go anywhere else. I mean, nowhere is like here. I mean, Karen's is it's different. Can't you just get another bartender or something? Everybody's home with family. I'm the only one left. Right, let me talk to your manager. No, Charlie's busy. Please, just one drink. Look, I promise I won't bother you again. I'm sorry. I can't do that for you. Look, it, it's been six months. I've been coming here for six months and you served me every night. Now, all of a sudden you cut me off? I mean, I guess I was wrong to think that we'd become friends. Yeah, you were. Here. You know a glass of whiskey doesn't cost that much. Consider it your tip. I am not taking bribes from you, Oliver. You need to stop drinking. Oh, so that's what this is all about? Are you kidding? I'm serious. You come in here every night, drink enough whiskey to sedate a small horse, and then collapse in your car in the parking lot. That's no way of living. Yeah, yeah, I hear it's a, it's a one-way ticket to dying. Too bad that train's not running tonight. I'm not leaving until I, you serve me. Then get comfortable.
cold? A little. Snow is picking up outside. Well, I guess I'm better off in here than out there. Is that right? Yeah. Please. I have nothing else. God, Oliver, I am not making you anything. Well, then just give me a bottle, goddammit. Give me a bottle, I'll leave, I'll never come back. No. Well, listen. Get away from me. Listen, if you won't give me one, I'll just take one. I suggest you move out of the way. Don't make me take my hand off from under this counter. Turn around and leave. Not until I get what I came here for. You didn't come here for alcohol. You came in here to relive a memory that you go back to every night. Really? Just because drinking keeps you from forgetting doesn't give you the right to keep doing it. How else am I supposed to remember her? You don't. You need to stop looking back. There's no point in coming halfway to hell if I can't even look inside. There's nothing I can do. That's not true. How many times do I have to tell you I am not? Tell me about her. Look, I, I, I come in here every night. You, you, you serve me. You're, you're bound to know something. I mean, it's all I could ask for. Fine. You said she had silky black hair with starry hazel eyes. She was a few inches shorter than you, but... Looking down at her gave you the perfect view of her smile. He said you liked her smile the best because it was crooked and goofy. You liked the way she said your name. You said she's the only one who knows the real you. You said that she was kind of like, like. Like you. Merry Christmas, Oliver. Oliver? Right. Yes. Merry Christmas, Lily. Merry Christmas, Lily. <laughs> Got your holiday bonus. <laughs> Who's this here with you? Uh, this is one of the regulars here, Oliver. Hmm. He's been coming here six months now. Oliver. This is Charlie, the owner. Go home, Lily. What? Go, take the night off. You deserve it. Thanks, Charlie. Um, yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Have a good night. <laughs> I don't celebrate Christmas. No shit. <laughs> She's a nice girl, Lily. Has a, a lot of life in her. You would know, I guess. Hmm. Hey, uh, a Coke for, what was it again? Oliver? Huh. Right, Oliver. How did you find this place? Huh? How did you find me? Bring me back. It's impossible. Take me to her. You know I can't do that, Orpheus. Harry. Just give me one more chance. I know I fucked everything up the last time, but I... That's the thing. Most people don't even have a chance to begin with. 
You convinced us to let you take her back. You were given something most people would die for. You still blew it. I just want to see her one more time. Even if I can't talk to her, please, just bring me back down. No! You know there's only one way you can be with her again, but I don't, I don't think you want to go down that road. Oh, you don't? Yeah, yeah. Well, give me a bottle and I'll see you wrong. Orpheus! Every drop that I drink brings me closer. Night after night, sitting here, you know, grasping onto a faded image until one day I'll be back with her, whether you want to bring me there or not. I'll be bringing you there regardless. Got to get across the river somehow. Let me bring her back. I'll do you one better. If you shake my hand right now, I'll take you down to the underworld and you can be with her again, but- What's the catch? Can't come back here to the overworld. It's a one-way ticket to what you want, but you'll stay down there with her. Can I have 24 hours? Nope. Think of this as my Christmas gift to you. I, I just don't think that but, you know you're right you come back here every night drinking yourself half to death until you can see into my world that's the thing you know your boundaries and you won't cross that river Stop. well if you want to be with her so bad Shut up, man. why haven't you died yet Orpheus I don't know listen I just haven't had because you don't want to you think there's nothing left for you up here, but you just can't bring yourself to leave for good. You're wrong. Look, at, you know what? I'll shake your hand. I'm ready. Oh, Orpheus. No, you're not. Besides, that'd make, that'd make her quite upset. Who? Eurydice? No. Our friend. Hiding in the doorway. Does, does she know? Could she hear us? Is she? Those are different questions, my friend. No, she doesn't know. She can't hear us. She can read your face. As for your third question, let's just call it a fresh start. Please don't give up, Oliver. Is there really nothing left for you up here? Let me see her one more time, Karen. I'm sorry, you know the rules. But you can't have this. It's faded. Yeah, I know. Get the hell out of my bar. Okay. Oliver, wait up. Can I come with you? Yes. Yes, you can. Hi, right, Orpheus. Right, it's a little dusty. But I thought you might be interested in your liar. 
Merry Christmas. Oliver. All right, and we're back. Thank you everyone for listening. So now we get to go into a deeper part of the script. When I was reading it, when I was watching it, the mythical element, it caught me off guard, but not in a bad way. I saw the layers and again, once I was able to rewatch it and reread it, I could see all of these elements coming together. So I was wondering, did the bar story come first or did the mythical element of what it's based on come first? It was definitely the mythology. I'm a big proponent of Greek mythology and Roman mythology. I took Latin for seven years in middle and high school. And so I was always around just different Greek myths and all that stuff. And I loved the Percy Jackson books growing up. So it definitely just made me oriented towards Greek mythology. Also, I love the idea of the oral tradition that has been passed down for generations, for millennia, literally. And I wanted to be able to put a modern spin on a Greek myth. I was always interested in creating something like that. So that is what came first. And then I was thinking, well, where could Orpheus be after the Orpheus story? What is the epilogue? And this is kind of what I envisioned as to what Orpheus might be doing in his later years. He might still be looking. He might never have given up. So the names of the characters also intrigued me because you do have names of characters that just seem like regular human names and not parallels to the names involved in the myth. And I was wondering if there was a connection between the two or how you derived them. So Orpheus and Oliver, it was pretty much just their names was starting with, oh, it was just a subtle nod. Same with Karen and Charlie. I wanted Lily to be completely removed from the Greek world of the mythological element. Since Lily was just a mortal, her name doesn't have any relation to any Greek figures. And that was actually a little tricky trying to figure out how I could get her removed from the Greek element when Orpheus and Charon are going on about it in the bar. Cool. The last couple turns of the play involve the reveal of the lyre. And I was wondering... Lily has her hand under the bar and is touching something, but Charlie later says that she doesn't know anything. And I was wondering what her connection to the liar was, or if it was even the liar. Did it change to a liar once Charlie touched it? What was the thought process around that turn? I think it was a liar the entire time. I don't think it magically appeared, but I don't think Lily knew that it was the liar of Orpheus. She just put her hand under the bar, mainly as if there was a weapon down there to threaten Oliver with. Cool. So this was a very mature piece. Thank you. Especially out of a high schooler. And I love that you were still able to involve those mythical elements. So it's just a great balance. Young, old, like a, a tale that you could hear as a child, but also something so ancient. And I was wondering, if you have a style that surrounds that, do you have other work that is inspired off of mythology or do you think that you have a style yet or are you still working I on it? I think there's a handful of genres and styles that I'm into. As for this specific one, I've got other certain ideas in the works that I haven't fully explored yet 
right now I'm trying to potentially craft a story around a world in which Caesar hadn't been assassinated. And even though that's not mythological necessarily, it still is that kind of historical element and how it could be implemented into the modern world. So I like the classics and exploring that and tying it into today is definitely something that I want to do more of in the future. But I wouldn't necessarily, it's my thing per se. I've got a few other projects that I'm working on right now for NYU this past semester. I did an animation project and I'm mostly a film guy, live action. And even there, I'm doing a few different genres, whether it's comedy, drama, noir. I enjoy it all, but I do like exploring classic historical stuff and mythological things. And I would definitely not rule out doing stuff like that again in the future. And it does seem that you take these big stories and you narrow them down into a more a more grounded modern reality. And I was wondering, what is the most difficult part of your creative process, of your writing process? I would say I'm pretty in tune with my creative process in the sense that I know how I see it manifested. I know that when I come up, with an idea. Everything is there. I imagine it as if it were like a big giant knot of string. And instead of trying to come up with the ideas, it's a matter of untangling everything and then being able to see it all laid out. And that's when I can really start writing. When I was starting to come up with the idea for the patron's redeemer, I was actually in my school's production of Guys and Dolls. And during rehearsals, I would be in the dressing room pacing back and forth, just thinking, all right, and then what happens? And then what happens? And then what happens? And it was just a matter of working it out in my head. Absolutely. So while you were thinking about this in the backstage wings of Guys and Dolls, were there any major changes or was the story generally in the same place the entire time? I think the story was generally in the same place I knew that I wanted Charon to come halfway, three quarters of the way through the play to kind of announce his presence. And that's when the tension would really rise because that's when Orpheus knew he was he came for what he was looking for. One thing that was kind of important was figuring out if Lily is Eurydice incarnated. And eventually I went with, no, she's her own woman. She's a completely different person. That was never something that was set in stone that then got shifted. That was just something that didn't get solidified until a little later on in the process compared to everything else. So when you first encountered this idea and this piece, since it is based on such a tragic love story, but you did want to put your own take on it, would you say that you establish the plot first or that you establish these new interpreted characters first? It was the setting, actually. So I liked the idea of an old-timey kind of rickety bar and it's Christmas time and there's I'll Be Home From Christmas playing on the radio at the bar and like some old radio. I saw the imagery almost as if it were a film and I think that contributes to my film background. But then I saw the characters and then I saw the story. Because I thought it would be intriguing if it's Christmas Eve, who's going to be at a bar on Christmas Eve? Probably someone who's pretty damn lonely, that's who. And also likely somebody who doesn't celebrate Christmas. And who better than someone who has been around longer than Christianity from a Greek myth. Yeah. Right. Wow. So it was just that imagery that drew me in. Yeah, that's great. 
That's such a nice way to set up a story for yourself. One of the exercises that we had been doing in acting class for the playwriting unit was to create an environment, an ironic setting, like a clown in a business suit. Something like that creates inherent irony and also kind of a spot where someone might feel stuck. I remember I had an idea early on in the creative process that I had been, and it was two people trapped in an ATM vestibule and that sense of being stuck. But you don't always have to be physically stuck to be stuck. So I felt that there was irony in this Greek figure on Christmas Eve, spending it in a bar. But then he also feels stuck because he's been searching for years for Eurydice, even after he kind of knows all hope should be lost because of the events that happened in the myth. So those exercises definitely gave me the skills to create that environment. So it seems like you have taken a lot of inspiration for your creative process from being in theater in high school. And I was just wondering, so when did you start writing and how did school teachers, family, friends, how did all of those people support your journey or maybe create rifts in your journey to want to keep creating and eventually land in film and TV? I'm really lucky in the sense that I feel like I've had a very supportive network throughout my life. My parents are very into performing arts and have been supporting me in that from a very young age. I've been on stage performing in various things since I'm five years old. And I did some more film and TV acting as a child. And I was definitely a little interested in the creation side of things as opposed to just the performance side. When I was around 10 or so, I was on set for a TV show and I was seeing everything happening behind the scenes. And I just thought that looked so cool. But I didn't really think much of it until later on when I was a freshman in high school. My freshman year of high school, I went to uh, the Hunt School of Princeton and they had a film and video production course. And that's where I fell in love with filmmaking. And that's where I started writing more scripts, whether it's screenplays or stage plays, and started making more short films. And then after that summer, I, having made more things on my own, even after taking this class, I realized that I have a passion for this, unlike anything that I've had before. But on the writing side of things, I always did enjoy writing. I've been writing small comedy skits and short stories for as long as I can remember. Regardless of media, what it boils down to is story, and that doesn't change. Whether it's prose or screenplay or stage play, anything like that, it's all the same. Absolutely. And would you say that you have a favorite piece of media, a favorite play, a favorite movie that kind of inspired you and your creative process in any way? I would say that the movie that continually inspires me in terms of all of its element is A Shawshank Redemption. For the Patron's Redeemer, I think a little bit of what it was I drew from It's a Wonderful Life, which is also one of my favorite movies. I love it. And there's that scene at the bar on Christmas Eve. And so I was reminded of that setting and I was thinking of that place and what more you could do with that because he's not in the bar for too long in It's a Wonderful Life, but I wanted to put my own spin on the location. Yeah. And speaking of location, when you were writing The Patron's Redeemer, what did your writing space look like? What was your environment? And has that changed? I know that when I'm writing something, I cannot write a single page in my apartment. I have to go either couch hopping to friends' houses or cafes. But in high school, it's a little different in comparison to yeah. college. 
So what was that like Actually, it was where I am sitting right now. My bedroom, there's a computer about three feet from my bed. And that is where I would just sit down in the chair and just pluck along at the keyboard whenever I felt inspired or felt the urge to write. And it's hard, though. I have to say, for me, it's hard with a messy room. I need to clean before I can write clean room, clean mind. So there's no distractions. There's nothing more that you can do except get to work. That's especially important if you are not at the moment feeling motivated to write. I know a lot of the time when I'm feeling motivated to write, I can do it anywhere and everywhere. I will write on a plane. I can write in bed. Usually I don't though, because lying in bed, often you want to sleep. So that's why I like having this desk space. But I feel like it is a matter of how much motivation you have. Sweet. If you could tell yourself any advice or any tips before you really started either writing The Patron's Redeemer or started being serious as an artist, what would you go back and tell yourself? I would tell myself that it doesn't have to be perfect on the first try. I was very adverse to revision, which really was not to my advantage, but I would always try and make something my magnum opus on a first draft which is completely stupid and unattainable for most, unless you're a crazy genius. But the revision process is just as, if not more important than the first draft process, because once you see it on the page, that's when the work really begins. Not when you have the idea, not when you have all the characters and the plot mapped out. It's when you have that first draft and you're like, okay, where can we go from here? It shouldn't have the first draft and then, okay, let's put this thing on stage or film this. It's that matter of revising. And that's something that I definitely could have taken from a little earlier on. Yeah. And so you do have a very interesting cast of characters for the Patrons Redeemer. We have Lily, Oliver, and Charlie. I was wondering, who is your favorite character? I like Charlie the best. I feel like Charon is very underrepresented in terms of how much people know about Greek mythology. Charon, he's the river man who carries all the souls across the river Styx into the underworld, for those of you that don't know. He's represented as being like Grim Reaper-esque, like this very ominous figure who just sits in silence and arose across the river Styx. I wanted to put a modern spin on him, and I realized since there isn't that much representation of Charon in modern media, the world was my oyster. I could make him this suave, late 20s, early 30s guy who's black jeans and black long sleeve shirt. Just kind of like a modern version of maybe like what a punk Grim Reaper would wear. That really drew me to the character, and I had a lot of fun making him, figuring out that he was this really cool dude who was super kind to his employees, but was not opposed to just getting down to business and being stern with Orpheus, this guy who he's already dealt with once and he doesn't want to deal with him again. But in the end, still being a forgiving guy who has a heart. Wow, nice. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? I think... As of right now, and obviously this may change, I think I'd still like to be living in New York. Right now I'm at NYU, and when I graduate, ideally get a job in film or television in and around NYC, and just get as much experience as I can on sets. And hopefully in 10 years, maybe I'll be directing an indie film, producing, writing something, just staying in the creative world, and hopefully in 10 years being a key contributor to probably an independent project. Well, that sounds great anyone that you'd like to thank for your process and just support in general i definitely want to give a huge shout out and a thanks to my parents they've always supported me throughout my creative endeavors and they have been great in general they have read the play and 
every version of it and helped me through the process. Same with my old acting teacher from Cranford High, Mr. Marconi, who is the one who put us through the playwriting unit, who really helped me kind of work out some of the kinks in the story for the patron's redeemer. And then my newer high school acting teacher, Mr. McQuaid, I'd like to give a thank you to him. He helped me revise the title. The title was initially a faded image, but he thought I could do better and he was right. I want to thank the theater project just for putting on the play and having me today. And I'd also like to give a thank you to my brothers, Lee and Will, and just anyone else who's supported me on my journey. That's very nice. And on behalf of the theater project and this podcast, I'd like to thank you, Ryan, for coming here today and blessing us with the patron's redeemer. I'm Keani Keys. This was the Patrons Redeemer with Ryan Rosenthal from the Theater Project, and I hope everyone has a wonderful day. Thanks, Keani. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Theater Project Thinks About. We hope you enjoyed this insight into up-and-coming playwright Ryan Rosenthal. Our audio engineer for this podcast was Alex Gomez, and our theme music was provided by Gail Liu and Damian DeSandes. Visit thetheaterproject.org to sign up for our mailing list, as well as check out any links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode. We'll see you next time.